Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hunter, also known as at Pecone36 on Twitter. This is the podcast that pairs with the content at accbasketballreport.com. Uh, if you would like to support the show, please go to accbasketballreport.com. Click on the RSS feed on the right-hand side. It'll take you to my Podbean page. Click on Be a Patron, and feel free to support the show however you see fit. I appreciate any support you can and will provide. Uh, jumping right into today's uh, to today's show, uh, going to do things a little bit differently. Obviously, we're in the postseason now. Today is Selection Sunday. We're finally here, uh, which is both... Uh, exciting as well as sad because this marks basically the downslope of the season. You know, we've got one big event left and then we have a nine-month layoff. Let me grab some coffee. Not a huge coffee drinker, so uh, might go a little off the rails today with my ranting, but uh, felt it was necessary this morning. I uh, woke up early today to catch the rest of uh, the ACC uh, uh, Conference Championship last night between Virginia North Carolina. I was out a little bit late last night playing in a poker tournament. Did bring home more money than I went in with, so that's always a good thing. Uh, gonna update you guys on the schedule for today. I'm gonna put this uh, episode out first thing this morning. Uh, should hit iTunes around noontime, so you guys can give that a listen before the selection show. Uh, from 6 to 8 this evening, I will be live on 1260 AM um, in New York with um, with a panel of guests on there discussing uh, the selection show live. There's also an app. Uh, the station is called The Score. Um, there's an app. You can listen to it online or you can listen to it live at 12.60 a.m. in the Syracuse area. Uh, really looking forward to that. And then I'm going to put out hopefully another episode right after that show ends of, of me uh, going over uh, the ACC pairing specifically in each bracket and uh, you know, choosing, giving some breakdown, giving some matchup information, things of that nature, uh, picking some teams that I, you know, that may fail, that may advance, that uh, that I like, um, particularly pathways to the Final Four, pathways to the Elite Eight, and I'm sure there's going to be some bitching, pissing, and moaning on my part of at least one team in particular that I don't think is going to make the dance, unfortunately, as well as some gripes that I have overall with how this is shaping up now. Given the nature of this year's tournament selection uh, process, I think some good. There is one thing in particular that's going to come from this um, this situation this year. There's a lot of good teams um, in NC in NCAA Division One right now, and I think uh, one event in particular is going to benefit from that. First, let me jump into the ACC tournament uh, review. I guess that uh, got wrapped up last night. Obviously, Virginia um, kind of ran through their bracket like a uh, like you know, a, you know pardon the cliche a hot knife through butter um, really impressive uh, to say the least um, not no one really posed a serious threat I guess Carolina did for a little while last night but Virginia kind of imposed their will one thing I am terribly sick of hearing about is when Virginia's up by seven it feels like they're up by 20 can we stop with that cliche? Seven points is still seven points. I understand that possessions are limited when you're playing the Cavaliers, but you don't have to say it five times every game, Jay Billis, who I respect and admire and uh, appreciate, but just you don't have to say it as often as you guys are saying it. We get it. They're very good on defense. Uh, going back to the first day, which tournament kicked off Tuesday, uh, Virginia didn't actually play until Thursday afternoon, obviously, but Boston College kind of owned those first two days. Um, you know they kind of showed out and kind of kind of showed what some of us have been talking about early on and actually later on in the season. Um, that backcourt is probably the best in the conference. I don't think anybody is really contesting that at this point. Um, Bowman and Robinson are fantastic one-two punch, and then you add in Chapman who can really shoot the ball. Um, they come in and beat Georgia Tech handily. Um, that wasn't really a game, and then play a great game against NC State and eventually get the win. Um, that game did ruin my want and need for an NC State-Virginia game. I don't know why I really wanted to see that game, but uh, I felt like NC State was playing pretty well recently and uh, might give Virginia a different look than what they've seen. Obviously, uh, the, the Wolfpack are a very well-rounded team as far as inside-outside play. Um, they're a deep team. They have athletes. They have shooters. 
um, they could give Virginia a lot of different looks, whereas uh, some teams in the conference, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, uh, Virginia Tech, those teams don't really have the ability to switch it up. They have one mode, they have one thing that typically works for them. If that thing fails, they're probably going to lose the game, uh, which we did see the next evening, or um, Wednesday night, when uh, Notre Dame uh, took on Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech is up by 21. Uh, Notre Dame looked like a dumpster fire, basically, in the first half, uh, completely out of sorts. Virginia Tech looked to run away with it. They were actually up by 21 at one point in the second half, and then it just came off the rails. I can't, I can't stress enough that I like Virginia Tech's coaching. I think Buzz Williams is a hell of a coach. Um, I like their talent on the wings uh, with Ahmed Hill and Bibbs, and I love their point guard, Justin Robinson, obviously. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is a great player. Um, <clears throat> I think they're going to be really good next year. Um, but, and obviously Kerry Blackshear is one of the uh, the most underrated big men probably in the country, I'd say, at this point. Uh, when he's on the court, they're obviously a much different team. But this team's reliance on uh, the their own three ball on offense and their inability to guard the perimeter on defense is something that can can cause huge swings like this. You know, Notre Dame comes roaring back. Bonzi Colson makes play after play after play. Uh, Virginia Tech looks lost. You know, they did not look like a tournament team there. They looked like they had no idea what to do when Notre Dame came up and finally started punching them in the mouth a little bit. Um, Virginia Tech's not a team I'm going to take deep into this tournament. Um, you know, their talent is second weekend talent. Their product on the floor is... They're going to be a very popular team to get upset in the first round bracket. You're going to see that an awful lot when you're filling out your brackets. Let me grab some Java. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's not a team I have a whole lot of faith in. Now they could show up like they did against Virginia in Charlottesville. You know, let's not forget that they won that game. Let's not forget that they beat North Carolina. But at the same time, in a, in a tournament style format, I don't know how you can trust them. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the UVA-Clemson rematch, obviously uh, Virginia uh, embarrassed Clemson uh, a few weeks ago. Clemson down nine at the break, but uh, did, did make it a game in the second half. Uh, Shelton Mitchell, Eli Thomas really kind of leading the way for them. You know, if they get anything out of DeVoe and Reed in this game, there's a potential for, for the major upset there. But uh, if DeVoe wasn't hitting, I think he was one for ten in this game, something to that effect. If he's not if he's not hitting, I mean, there's no way that I, I think Clemson can win a game unless Reed goes out and scores 30. Um, Mitchell's a nice player. Uh, Clemson plays a hell of a lot better with him than without him, which we saw during the season. Um, I think they have above-average shooters. Uh, DeVoe, Reed, Mitchell, all above-average shooters. They have a great defensive big man in Eli Thomas. They have a uh, kind of a more effort than talent kind of guy in Amir Sims. Uh, Mark Donnell, the uh, transfer from Michigan, he is a big guy who can come off the bench, get you some rebounds, step out, hit a three. I think they can make it out of the second weekend. Whether or not that happens depends completely upon matchups. You know, if they draw a team like a Cincinnati in the second round or, or something to that effect, a team similar to that that's going to take away that three-point line, they're really going to struggle. Um, you know, the other thing on the flip side of this, on the other side of the ball, Virginia gets eight points and eight rebounds out of Jack Salt in this game. Uh, that's not something you're ever depending on. Um, coming down the stretch, they were down, they were up by four, Virginia, I'm talking about now. They're up by four. Uh, Devin Hall comes down, makes a three. Jack Salt gets a tip in. Todd Jerome hits a jumper. The lead back up to nine, I believe, after each one of those baskets. And, you know, there's a minute left. Virginia pretty well, you know, sealed it from the line. This was... I just think NC State would have played them better. I think they match up with Virginia better. That was a game I really wanted to see. But, you know, NC State couldn't buy Boston College. So they don't deserve it. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, obviously, the biggest game probably of the tournament um, was North Carolina and Duke Part 3 after Carolina dispatched of number 3 seed uh, Miami after they were down, I believe, 14 to nothing at one point to the Hurricanes. Um you know, North Carolina then 
you know, dispatched of, of, of Notre Dame after uh, Notre Dame beat Virginia Tech. And I'm sorry, Duke beat Notre Dame. Jesus, games are all running together on me. Uh, I do want to talk about that game real quick before I get to the Duke-UNC game. The Duke zone in this tournament did not play out well for them. Uh, the metrics stated before this tournament that they were one of the best defensive teams in the country when playing in that zone as far as points per possession go. Notre Dame tore that zone apart for 25 minutes. Um, the game was only six for quite a while. Uh, they put Colson at the high post and he just, he tore him up. And, you know, I think conditioning played a factor in this. You know, eventually Duke pushed it up to 14, 16, 18 points, something, something to that effect. And, you know, Matt Farrell's out there taking 26 foot jumpers. I don't, you know, I like Matt Farrell. He's a good hard-nosed point guard. He can really shoot the ball as displayed when Notre Dame went to uh, Chestnut Hill this year. But watching him play and watching a box score are two completely different things. He takes some really bad shots. Um, he took some bad shots in the Virginia Tech game in this tournament uh, that, were, that were basically saved by heroic plays by his teammates. He took one three from the elbow at, towards the end of the game from Virginia Tech that he should have been pulled for. He just, uh, I don't remember him being quite as uh, loose, I guess, with his shot selection as he was in this tournament. And maybe he, you know, he had to play a little bit of hero ball when Colson was out, but he needs to recognize that Colson is back. And you can't just dribble, 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 and throw up a 26-footer. Bonzi Colson has to touch the ball every time you go down the court. Okay, TJ Gibbs needs to touch the ball once every two possessions. Okay, those, those guys are scorers. They make things happen. And... If you get something on a ball reversal, if you get a good clean look, uh, if you can get if you get a switch on a pick and roll that you can go to the hole, then Matt Farrell needs to you know take up those opportunities. But you can't just come down, dribble, 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 hit a ball screen and throw up a 25 footer. That just you know Mike Bray doesn't really have another option at point guard, and I'm sure he would have chewed some ass on that. Moving on to the Duke UNC part three before I kind of get off on the tangent there. Um, <laughs> Obviously, the biggest, the big story here isn't who won the game, because it never is, because ESPN runs the show when it comes to content and what's being put out. It's, it's Grayson Allen making another dirty play, okay? The long and short of it is, Grayson Allen's a dirty player, okay? I mean, that's, that's basically what it boils down to. Duke fans are going to be on fire about that, and they're going to point fingers at some other players that I'm going to talk about here in a second. But watching him smile, smirk, and throw his hands up in the air like a third grader after they make that call, after they go to review, makes him look defiant. It makes him look like he thinks it's funny to be that player. And unfortunately, I think that, that moniker, that handle, that description, um, you know, is, is going to follow him around a little bit. If he does this shit when he gets to the league, he's going to get his ass handed to him. You know, if he if he throws a hip out in front of DeMarcus Cousins, who's trying to run down the floor like Garrison Brooks was the other night, he's going to eat a fist, okay? His teeth are going to be his supper that night. Um, and, you know, it, it's something that he's a talented kid. He doesn't need to be doing this shit. Um, that was clearly intentional, in my opinion. Uh, thought he deserved the flagrant. Um and I really hope that I'm reading it incorrectly that he doesn't actually embrace that. I mean, it's one thing, I guess, to be a bad boy. It's another thing to be a punk. Um, I just, you know, I hate to talk bad about the kid because I don't know him. He might be the nicest kid in the world. But you can only have so many incidences where, you know, people defend you when you actually have to look at it. I'm talking to you, Duke fans, and I don't even know if I have any Duke listeners. But you, you can't. You can't keep apologizing for the kid. I mean, you can tell me that there's some other players that are dirty. You know, I know, I know that's what you're saying at your radios right now. Joel Berry, Joel Berry, Joel Berry. Look at Joel Berry. I agree, um, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But you know, if you don't think that Grayson Allen's out there intentionally doing shit, then I think you're pretty thick. And I guess I'll leave it at that. And something else that Grayson has to understand: Sports Center's dying to do another special on you. Okay, UNC fans are dying to blast you on social media. Um, UNC fans right now, you know, after Joel Berry basically assaulted Kyle Guy on national television last night, maybe they just sit back and don't talk for a while. Okay, maybe we sit this one out, champ. Um, 
it is what it is. I, I just think that, you, you know, self-awareness, situational awareness needs to be something that Grayson Allen needs to embrace moving forward. Um, obviously, with this being the latest incident right before the tournament, I think he's in the crosshairs of some people. Um, and I think it ain't going to take much, uh, you know, as far as a questionable call, and he could really impact how Duke finishes this season. Moving on to the game, Theo Pinson, much like Bonzi Colson the night before, I thought really busted up that zone. Uh, there was something about the way that the wings on the baseline for that 2-3 zone for Duke were kind of playing up, and there was a lot of situations basically where North Carolina was playing 2-on-1. You know, Pinson's at at the uh, the high post situ uh, the high post position, and if you back off him, he's going to drill that foul line jumper. If you come up on him, he's going to dump it off to the block for an easy layup. Um, I think that's an, a pretty easy, uh, it may be an oversimplification on my part, but I think it's a pretty easy uh, adjustment for Coach K to make. I think they will make that, but I think between the Notre Dame game and the UNC game, if coaches get that tape, you know, coaches in this upcoming bracket get that tape and they're worth, you know, their weight in gold, they're going to come up with a game plan to beat that 2-3 zone now that Notre Dame and, and UNC has kind of, have kind of figured it out a little bit. Um, UNC, you know, <laughs> I thought they played they played better. Okay, um, Luke May, you know, getting over the you know shot one for fifteen, I believe, in the Miami game. Obviously, played better. This was a game where he played better against athletic bigs than I think we've seen him play all season. Well, the thing that concerns me was the last five minutes of the game, UNC doesn't score a field goal. Something, five and a half minutes, four, six minutes, something. Instead, settling for threes, they, they refuse to get into the lane, they refuse to, to do what works. Now, part of that is Duke takes away those lanes, um, you know, and they, they really clamp down, I thought, in the last six, seven minutes. But, you know, Kenny Williams is settling for jumpers. Joel Berry's settling for jumpers. Get into the lane, you need to get onto the line, feed Luke May, get him a touch. You know, those... You know, you've got, you know, Trevon Duval, if that's how if that's how we're saying his name this week, is, is on an injured ankle out there guarding the perimeter. Joel Berry can't get by him, you know, and that's a rhetorical question. He, he can't get in the lane create. You know, they look like Georgia Tech out there passing the ball around the perimeter before they, you know, Georgia Tech under Brian Gregory, uh, pass the ball around the perimeter and then throw up a, a contested three when the shot clock runs down. You know, it just, UNC... They, they, and I'm going to talk about it again in a second because they did it again against Virginia. Um, UNC needs to remain competitive, remain have that killer attitude, that killer instinct, that, that attitude where you step on a throat and you kill your enemy towards the end of the game. And I'm not sure they have that um, outside from Joel Berry. There was an instance in the Duke game when after a tie-up, Joel Berry and Gary Trent kind of got into a staring match and Gary Trent kind of approached Joel Berry and I was looking at the TV thinking you know that's probably not a fight that, uh, that Gary Trent Jr. is going to want to pick Joel Berry looks like a crazy person okay he's got the eyes of a sociopath he looks like he would you know what's the uh, what's the name of the kingpin and daredevil he's going to kill you and he's going to kill his entire family that's the look that's in Joel Berry's eyes sometimes and I don't know I'm a man I'm a 35 year old grown man and sometimes the way Joel Berry looks at some people is, is pretty scary as shit um, before I move on I want to talk about Marvin Bagley real quick <clears throat> in this tournament averaged 26 points 15 rebounds shot 22 or 36 from the field for me for my money he's easily the number one pick in the draft um, right up until you watch DeAndre Ayton from Arizona play basketball who had some stupid line of 32 and 18 last night in the Pac-10 tournament. Um, at this moment, I can't imagine you lose with either player. Again, for me, I think my pick would be Bagley. I think he has high upside as a rim defender. He hasn't shown that this year. I spoke before the season that that he was a very good rim defender, and he was in college. I mean, I'm sorry, in high school, but. He hasn't shown that. He's shown flashes of it this year, but Wendell Carter Jr. has actually been a better rim defender than Bagley has this year, I think. 
And I think Bagley's game stretches out to the three-point line a little bit better, or it, it has potential to do so. He's not a good three-point shooter right now, I don't think, and he certainly won't be in the league right now. But I think he has potential to get there. As far as Aiton goes, he's a he's a monster. I mean, he looks like I don't know. I don't I don't know what he looks. He just looks like he is a different breed of person with his size and his agility, the way he plays, the way he can dominate and take over games. The only thing that concerns me with him is is his size. Is that his long-term health and I have nothing to back this up. These are just my own my own fear. I there's nothing to substantiate this this statement, but his size scares me long term. Like you see guys like Shaq with this size and but Shaq was just built, you know, like he was made out of brick and mortar. And and this kid's cut up as well. He just he's also a little bit lanky too and like he's still kind of growing into his body. And it, it makes me think of Greg Oden a little bit. Um, obviously, Aiton's game isn't the same as Oden. Uh, Aiton has a much, uh, you know, uh, a better game away from the basket. He's he's multidimensional. I, you know, I love him as a player. He's fantastic. I just worry about long-term health. Um, and I don't know why. Like I said, there's nothing to back that up. It's just sometimes you you look at guys and you just wonder how long they can play. You know, you, you probably felt that way with Yao Ming. You know, he's an Asian guy who was a monster. You know, typically people from that area of the world aren't that big. You know, how, do, how does his, his skeletal system hold up under the stress of an 82-game NBA season? You know, and, and as it turned out, he ended up having foot problems and his career was cut way short, unfortunately. Yao Ming was a fantastic player. When him and Shaq used to go at it, you know, that was incredibly entertaining and something I really love. I watched Greg Oden come out of Ohio State. Tremendous tremendous athleticism and unfortunately I think you know Greg Oden is kind of a he's almost seen as an old wives tale at this point with with some of the younger NBA fans that don't quite know how good he really was um, that guy was incredibly athletic he dominated college basketball for a season now granted he had some really good players around him you know Mike Conley Daquan Cook uh, David Lighty was on that team there's a lot of good players on that team and, you know, it's just something that concerns me with Aiden. Again, I have nothing to back that up. That's just me speculating. And he made – it could go the other way with, with Bagley. I mean, Bagley's had, you know, an MCL problem this year. Granted, only a sprain. That shit happens. But I think right now the pick for me is Bagley. And, you know, I think if you got the number two pick and the guy in front of you takes Bagley, obviously you got a big smile on your face when you take DeAndre Aiden. So – I don't think you can lose in any one of those two positions for the NBA draft that, sh that year. I look forward to uh, to watching them guys grow and uh, and see where their NBA careers take them. I think it's going to be a, a great story and a great time to be an NBA fan. Moving on to the championship game after uh, UNC did ultimately eliminate Duke. UVA, UNC. To get out of the way, Virginia wins 71-63. Typical Virginia game, I thought. They scored a, a bit more points than I than I predicted. I think I predicted 69-64 UNC. Um, I thought that UNC would be able to shoot enough to stretch that pack line out a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, UVA really, again, controlled the pace of the game. That was a comment that Roy Williams made at halftime. Um, and again, second half of the game... UNC goes in the shitter and goes eight minutes about without scoring. Uh, so they go five plus minutes in the Duke game without a field goal and then about eight minutes in the in the Virginia game in the second half of the second half, I believe. I believe it was eight minute mark to the four minute mark. Uh, sorry, 12 minute mark to the four minute mark. Something something in there. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's not something they're going to be able to do if they want to make a legitimate run to the final four. You know, they might get away with it early against a 15 seed that they'll likely face. Um, you know, but you start getting into them seven seeds, it's, you know, the, and the three seed after that, it's not something that's going to fly for very long. They need to tighten that up. Again, they need to have that killer instinct. They need to step on throws. One thing that's really interesting, I just watched this game again this morning. Um, if you can do it, watching a basketball game, the basketball is a magnet for your eyes, okay? 
everybody who watches the game, 99.9% .9 of people are just watching the ball. What I did with this game is I watched it late last night, some of it, went to bed, got up this morning, I knew Virginia won, and I rewatched the, the entire game this morning. When I watched the entire game this morning, knowing Virginia won, I was able to kind of pay attention to what's going on off the ball. The way that Virginia uses screens, the way they read screens, uh, specifically elevator screens, curl screens, are, is incredible. The way they get open shots, that elevator screen that they run is incredible. It, it should almost be illegal. Um, you saw in the second half, I believe, Kyle Guy starts on the opposite block, runs right between Jack Salt and Isaiah Wilkins, they close like an elevator, and the defender runs into a brick wall, Kyle Guy drills a triple. It is, you'd never see it. The only thing you'd ever see is, is Ty Jerome throwing it to the wing to Kyle Guy being wide open for a three, and you, you look at your buddy in the room and say, how the fuck do they leave Kyle Guy wide open? Well, that defender ran right into Jack Salt and Isaiah Wilkins. You know, running into Jack Salt is a pain in the ass in and of itself, Running into him while he's standing next to Isaiah Wilkins is something you're never going to get through, and you might have to leave the game. And they might be charged with assault after the game, because both those guys set man screens. That's something you wake up the next morning really feeling. Um, the other thing that they do really well, and Devin Hall did it in the first half, I believe, is the way they read screens. They run baseline screens. Devin Hall runs off the screen. The defender cuts through the bucket to try to meet him at the wing, and all he does is just fade to the corner and drills a wide-open triple. Kyle Guy did that, and I mentioned it last week on the episode, I believe, the day before, except he almost ran the guy, the defender, through a cone drill before he drilled a two-point jumper in his face. It's incredible the plays they run and the looks they get, and you almost wonder, like I said, you wonder why and how those guys get that wide open. Watch, just keep your eyes on Guy. Keep your eyes on Devin Hall. And watch how they screen constantly. They, I mean, they run a, you know half a dozen screens every play before they run the screen that ultimately gets them a wide open shot. If you can play defense for that long, more power to you. I mean, you're running a marathon every time Virginia's on offense. It is crazy to watch. Um, I, I, I definitely pull it up on Watch ESPN and just, just flip through you know, 10 to 15 Virginia offensive possessions and, and watch what they do. Um, it, it, it's remarkable. That's all I can really say. Obviously now I'm going to get into something that everybody wants to talk about, and that's the Joel Berry hit on Kyle Guy. It wasn't even called a foul. During the broadcast, nobody even brought it up, which I could not believe. Joel Berry basically gives Kyle Guy a forearm shiver right to the face and knocks him down out of bounds. Was it intentional? I don't know. But like I said before, Joel Berry looks like a psycho. And uh, it, <laughs> it seemed like he was going right at his face. Um, guy was having a pretty good game. I, I don't have what he, what he scored down in front of me, but he was hitting some timely shots. He was playing really well for a guy supposedly playing on one leg. But I, I hear what Duke fans are saying. That you know you can't you can't persecute Grayson Allen and give Joel Berry a pass. Well, that's fine, but you still got to recognize that Grayson Allen's a dirty player. Uh, is Joel Berry a dirty player? I don't know. This is the only incident that I can remember off the top of my head of him being involved. But he definitely, to me, this looked like it should have been a flagrant one. I, I thought it was on purpose. I thought he was sending a message. But nobody during the broadcast, nobody in the game ever even acknowledged that it happened. So that was certainly interesting. Um, again, <laughs> the Gary Trent thing. Maybe maybe Joel was taking, doing to Guile Guy what he actually wanted to do to Gary Trent the night before. That, that could be possible. Um, but I think that all eyes were on him during the Gary Trent situation. If he would have thrown a forearm shiver into Gary Trent's face during a dead ball situation, he probably wouldn't be playing for the rest of the season. So, you know, those sociopaths, they let shit get to him. Maybe he was stewing, you know, overnight, wakes up this morning, like, I can't believe I fucking let Gary Trent get away with that shit. And, you know, Kyle Guy, you know, ran by him, said, hey, nice beard. And that was it. Joel Berry snapped. Of course, this is all just for fun. But, you know, hey, weirder shit has happened. So, <clears throat> Virginia wins the ACC championship. 
Okay, Virginia wins the ACC regular season championship. Only three times in the history of, uh, of college basketball has a team won all three, that being the ACC regular season championship, the ACC tournament championship, and the NCAA championship. Those three teams are all three teams from Tobacco Road. Um, the most recent one being North Carolina. So history not really in Virginia's favor, but they're also the best defense that anybody's ever seen. Their chances to win it all, I don't know if they're the favorite. You know, they're going to be the number one overall seed. I'm interested to see if they're the favorite coming in here. Um, right now, I like them to make the Final Four, but I really, it, it's difficult. It's difficult when people on TV, these talking heads on ESPN or FS1 or whoever, pick their Final Four before they ever see the bracket. To me, it makes no sense. It's filler. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean a thing because you have absolutely no idea how... I mean, the bracketologists are just shooting for the teams that are getting in. They're not ever right on the seeding or the regions, you know, outside the number ones and twos. You know, the number ones and twos are fairly easy because they're going to get the overall number one seed as close to home as possible, and then the number four usually takes a hike, pound sand, goes on the road. And then the number two, pretty close to home, and, 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 and like that. When they get down to fours through whatever, it doesn't matter. They don't care where they're putting people. Um, they might be looking at interesting matchups in the second round, third round, things of that nature, but they're not doing anybody any favors. And it's, to me, it's just it's nonsense when you pick your Final Four team before you get the brackets. You've got to look at the bracket. There are certain situations where Virginia will not be favored in this tournament, I believe. I, I just... I can't see it, and you know, like I said, likely in their bracket to to make the Final Four. But that's as far as I'm, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Virginia's going to win the national championship. I don't feel that confident in their offense. Now they're very efficient on offense, and obviously they play great defense. But there are lots of teams in the country like that. West Virginia did to Virginia what Virginia does to everybody else early in the season, um, and then you have a situation. Hey, last year, Kyle Guy, Devin Hall, Ty Jerome won six for 27 in the tournament combined in two games. You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying Kyle Guy, uh, Ty Jerome, they're both sophomores. They're still underclassmen. Now, Devin Hall is an upperclassman. He's a senior. Isaiah Wilkins, Defensive Player of the Year in, in the conference. He's a senior. So, you know, they have, they have some senior leadership, but they also have some young guys in some key spots. Obviously, guard play drives success in college basketball as a whole you know it's it's completely it's not outside the realm of possibilities to see Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy go in the shitter in the first round you know second round of this tournament you know Ty Jerome did not look great last night I didn't think against you know he hit some big shots he hit a big three in the second half but he didn't look great you know he didn't look like he did in the middle of the ACC season Virginia's really tailed off since the middle of the ACC season. I'm not sure many people really recognize that. Their defense has been great. I actually read around the time that I put out a piece saying that Virginia's really good on offense. They kind of, eh, sank down, returned back to the normal, uh, re you know, returned to the mean, regressed to the mean a little bit. Now, that's not to say they won't also hit the tournament bracket like, uh, you know, like a house of fire and just burn through everybody and beat everybody by 20 and win the national championship. I mean, eh, maybe maybe ten, not twenty. I don't think you guys got that much uh, that much uh, gunpowder in the cannon, but we'll see what happens. I don't have a ticket on Virginia. I have a ticket on Arizona, Michigan State. I have one on Kansas, and I have one on Duke. Right now, really hoping the, the ticket on Kansas uh, Kansas uh, cashes because I think I got them at like plus nine hundred, something like that. Anyway, gonna look at the rest of the ACC now. Um, other teams that may be capable of making a run to the Final Four from the ACC, there's not a lot of them, people. Um, I am not optimistic about performance by the conference in this tournament. I'll tell you that right now. UNC certainly has talent, but again, prone to long periods of poor play, bad shot-taking, bad decision-making. Um, that death lineup that they play, it only... It only helps them score points from the perimeter, okay? Um, which they can do. Kenny Williams, Cam Johnson, Joel Berry, all terrific three-point shooters. 
Um, but it also puts Theo Pinson on, on the opponent's four-man on the defensive end, which he's certainly, you know, Theo Pinson's a great defensive player, great, you know, I hate to use the cliche term glue guy, but that's what he is. Um, and then if you run into an athletic five-man that Luke May has to guard, then you're in trouble. You know, North Carolina is still the best offensive rebounding team in the country, but they, when you have that lineup and it's a give and take, you're going to sacrifice some things to gain scoring. And at some points over the course of the last few weeks, UNC has really settled for that triple, even when it's not falling. Um, even Luke May, who is you know a stud front court player, he likes to drift out there, roll off those screens, and shoot threes. When they need to recognize when they're struggling from outside, you know if they miss you know triples, jumpers on two, three straight possessions, they need to get the ball into Luke May in the block and see what he can do. You know, he gives the line, he's a decent free throw shooter, he goes to the line, knocks a few down. It saves you from going five minutes without scoring, okay? They need to be multi-dimensional if they're going to be successful, I think. And Roy, I think he's an underrated coach. Um, I think people give him a lot of grief. You don't win three championships without being a good coach. You don't lock into that shit. So, <clears throat> UNC, I think, outside of Virginia, is possibly the most likely to make the Final Four of the ACC if I had to pick somebody. Uh, the second team is obviously Duke. I picked Duke to win the whole thing preseason. I think this is the best re college recruiting class I've ever seen coming into college. This is incredible. I mean, people forget Gary Trent Jr. is a top 15 recruit. Okay? How he did not make the freshman team is... I don't know. I don't know how you put Lonnie Walker. I, I Actually, to be completely transparent, at one point I had Lonnie Walker ahead of Gary Trent on my freshman all-conference team until I looked at game logs and stats. Gary Trent is a far superior player all season long. Lonnie Walker made his name after Bruce Brown went down and Lonnie Walker made that team his own. Now, there's something to be said for that, but over the course of an entire season, Gary Trent was a better player. You know, Duval has been somewhat disappointing, but we all know he couldn't shoot. Now he's potentially injured. Um, I wonder, you know, I wish I had the ticket. Unfortunately, I placed the bet online or else I'd sell that ticket in a heartbeat. Um, I think I got that at 300 to 1, or 300, sorry, plus 300. And, you know, I, now, my prediction preseason, and I think I brought this up last week as well, was Duke would lose to uh, Notre Dame in the ACC tournament and, you know, kind of take their licks in the ACC tournament, get their shit together, and run through the national, you know, the NCAA tournament. I think that's still possible. Now, if Duval is not healthy and Alex O'Connell has to play point or Grayson has to play the point, nah, I don't feel so good about that now. Because if anything, even if Duval can't score, he's still a, a, a fantastic defensive presence, especially when he plays with a fire under his ass. So Duke, I think, is a longer shot than UNC and Virginia right now, but they have more talent than both of those teams. So if, if they're able to tighten up that zone, if Duval is healthy, and if Grayson Allen can avoid doing you know, 4 for 11, 4 for 12, stuff like that, from, you know, and shooting all his shots from deep, I think he, you know, he needs to, he needs to let go of all this bad press that's coming his way, he can't let the fans get to him, he needs to be a leader out there, because this team no doubt needs a leader, you know, they have plenty of talent, more talent than anybody in the country, aside from maybe Arizona, uh, but they need a leader, and I don't think these young guys are quite ready for that task yet, but we'll see what happens. Um, other than those two and Virginia, I don't really see a team from this league that's going to make a run. In fact, I think the ACC is probably going to mimic uh, last year's poor performance. I, you know, I, how do you put money on Louisville, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Clemson, even NC State at this point? How do you bet on them? You know, I don't know how anybody else fills up brackets. When I do my bracket, I try to safeguard myself against running un, you know, unpredictable teams too deeply into the tournament, try to hedge them off. Now, sometimes that works. Sometimes those teams make runs. Oftentimes, those teams lose in the first round, and I end up fucked. So, I, I just, of those of those teams, who can you put money on? Louisville? They, they've played terribly. They haven't beaten anybody. You know, their metrics look good, but eh. I mean, Florida State could literally lose to anybody in the country. When they're not right, it's it's a terrible thing to watch Florida State play basketball. Nobody does less with more than Leonard Hamilton. 
it's unreal. Virginia Tech is probably the most. No, no, Clemson. Clemson is the most likely of these guys to make a run. I think. And I think top end for any of these teams right now is Sweet 16. First day of the second weekend. You know, Clemson gets hot from three-point land. They can literally beat anybody in the country. NC State, I was big on last week, but how do you how do you show your ass to everybody in the conference by playing so well? You know, you win five or six to close the season, I believe. And then you go in and you lose to Boston College. So, I mean, Boston College is really good, but Jesus Christ, so is NC State. You're number five in the conference. Now, everybody's jumping on your bandwagon. You go up to, you know, you go up to the Barclays Center and you lose to Boston College, who just played the day before. You know, who's injured in the front court. Playing some guy that I've never even heard of, Miesnicks, I think his name is, that, you know, Boston College, hey, he shows up, he can hit a pile of threes. I just... I was a big believer in NC State. Um, you're gonna put mo- you're gonna put money on Miami. You know, eh, Lonnie Walker is not immune to having poor games from the field. You know, Chris Likes is not immune. You know, what if he runs into Javon Carter? You think Javon Carter is not gonna be licking his lips, shutting down Chris Likes? Um, you know, what if they run into Cincinnati? What if they run into a team like New Mexico State that everybody is not paying attention to? You know, that's a loss for Miami right there. Um, I just, I, I don't see a team outside of Virginia Duke and UNC that I would feel comfortable running to the Elite Eight. I think high upside for a lot of these teams is is second first week, uh, first day, second weekend. Sweet 16. Um, Notre Dame, let's get into some bubble teams real quick. Notre Dame... I think they have they have high end potential. I think they're a possible lead eighteen, but at the same time, they I don't think they're gonna make it. You know, they, I, I think I, I thought two wins. You know, one of them had was meaningless. You know, beating Pittsburgh is meaningless. It might even hurt you more than it helps you because that's that's how the RPI sometimes works. But beating Virginia Tech was a pretty easy call. I thought, especially with Colson, um, I thought that win might help them out. Louisville beating Florida State hurt uh, Notre Dame. Not as much as it hurt Florida State, apparently, because a lot of people have them out. But uh, at this point, I can't make a a logical argument for Notre Dame outside of the fact that I just want to see them in it. Um, and and when you look at you look at some, I hate to do it. When you look at some metrics and you look at schedule, when you look at other things, these are things that the committee are going to use to determine this field. Does Notre Dame belong to be, uh, deserve to be in over uh, Middle Tennessee at twenty four and seven, St. Bonaventure? Um, I don't know. Maybe uh, depending on how you want to look at things, depending on how much you value that win over Wichita State. Which, with Colson, I think uh, Notre Dame is fifteen and five, something like that. They have not outside of Wichita State. They don't really have an impressive win. Now finish, finishing up eight and ten in the ACC without Colson is nothing to sneeze at but at the same at the same time I, I got to bang on Notre Dame for the same reason that I bang on Syracuse you know those wins are against Boston College Wake Forest Pittsburgh um, Georgia Tech you know I think they had Colson for that game but you know I, I can't do one without the other I try to remain unbiased you know I, I got called out by a Syracuse fan yesterday who made a really good point now you know going three and two with Colson down the stretch is not a good look especially the way I've been talking lately. But at the same time, you know, those two losses are against Virginia and Duke. Okay? I mean, granted, one of the wins is against Pittsburgh, again. You know, Virginia Tech, sure. But, uh, you know, at this point, folks, I I don't think Notre Dame is going to get in, which is too bad because I think if you're trying to make this tournament be about having the best teams with the best possible uh, chances to win a national championship that can play at a high level, I think Notre Dame needs to be in there. Um, moving on to Louisville, uh, it, it looks like the Florida State win has put them in a better position than I anticipated it would. Uh, a lot of talking heads right now have Louisville in, barring in, in any sort of craziness, uh, such as today, uh, Davidson over URI. Davidson also on the bubble. They take that automatic bid. You know, that's going to eliminate. I think right now most people have Davidson out. Uh, second four out. I believe right now is the most popular. I think that's Lenardi's situation right now. Now, Davidson beats URI today. 
that means I mean there's no way URI is not getting in. So there's a that's a steal of a bid right there. Right now Louisville has to be URI fans. Um, no way around that. Now, right now, Louisville's in a better position than Florida State. Um, I thought they, I thought Florida State was safer than they actually ended up being. Uh, that loss to Louisville really hurts them. Louisville obviously, you know, jumps over them, which I did. I, I thought it would close the gap a little bit. I didn't realize it would swing that that uh, opinion quite so far in uh, in Louisville's direction. <clears throat> Right now, FSU is one of the last teams in, it looks like. Um, and again, Leonard Hamilton, doing less with more. You know, he's a great coach at a school like Florida State who has a fan base that doesn't even realize they have a basketball team until after New Year's Day. So he's in a great situation. Um, I heard on another podcast the other day, people talk about what happens to Leonard Hamilton, who I believe is 69, 70, something like that right now. Um, what happens to Florida State when he leaves? I think the most logical replacement is Carlton Young, who's currently on staff and has not left Florida State, I think, with the intention of taking over once Hamilton is gone. Now, Carlton Young is a hell of a recruiter, did not fare so well um, at his previous coaching stop at Georgia State. Um, was it Georgia State? I believe it was Georgia State. And uh, we'll see. I, you know, that job is all about Leonard Hamilton. He's created that job. Um, but he hasn't done a whole lot with it. He's made them a perennial first weekend program. They're probably going to make the tournament, and they're probably going to go home very quickly. Nobody signs more five-star guys and goes home early than Leonard Hamilton. I don't understand it. I don't understand why these whole pro- these high well <laughs> I have a theory, but I don't understand why these high-profile recruits go to Tallahassee, stay for four years, and then don't go pro. They don't make it. Um, Jonathan Isaac, is he having a good year this year? I, I don't think so. I haven't heard a damn thing about him since he left Tallahassee. Um, I, I just, there, he's not a, he's not a coach that's going to put you in the league in a position to be successful. These these players come in good players, they leave good players, but they never seem to advance their game. Um, and unfortunately, I think he's amassed a, a good group of talented players right now that I think have overachieved when given, you know, their uh, recruiting ratings and things of that nature, but ultimately underachieved, again, especially with what they showed early in the season. Um, and, and it's too bad, because I think Florida State is better than a lot of teams that are going to make the tournament this year, but they should have probably been better than they were, especially down the stretch. I think they lost six of their last nine games, six of the last eight games, something like that. Last one on the list, Syracuse. I think they're out. I think right now they're in the last four out. And then you look at their metrics, and again, I'm going to say this for probably the third week in a row, you know, blind t- blind survey test on Twitter, I pick Syracuse every time. Uh, strength of schedule of 18, RPI of 44. So, again, if, you, if you're if you a metrics kind of person, if you're a quadrants, quote-unquote, kind of person, Syracuse probably gets in. Obviously, Syracuse fans think they get in. The way I look at it is strength of schedule is strength of schedule. I mean... I mean, you can have a great strength of schedule and not beat anybody. Now, they beat Oakland early in the season. I thought Oakland was going to burn through the Horizon League this year. They ended up at 19-14, and 14, something like that. Um, not a great team. A still, still a decent win, I think, but they really could have used the St. Bonaventure win. Uh, that was one of the teams they lost to in that conference. Obviously, they could use the win at Kansas, or the win against Kansas. That was on the neutral floor. But, you know, everybody in the country can say, well, that would have been nice to beat Kansas. Sure, not a whole lot of people beat Kansas, though. So I'm going to say the St. Bonaventure win was a win they probably had to have. I think they sweated out tonight. I don't know if Jim Beheim's name has enough cachet at this point to get them in. Um, it has, hasn't seemed to be the case in the last few years. seems like Syracuse is always living on the knife edge as far as whether or not they get in. Now, obviously, wins at Louisville, wins at Miami uh, were, were good wins. They beat Virginia Tech up at the Carrier Dome. So, you know, I, I can understand how their fans are saying, you know, hey, look at us. We're good. They won 20 games. You know, there's a handful of 20-game team, 20-game uh, winners as far as teams go in the ACC. I just, Jesus, it's awful to watch you guys play. It's terrible to watch Syracuse play. I mean, what's the upside? What's the upside with Syracuse? To, uh, I mean, 
Second weekend? No way. No way. Um, second round, at best. They, they're probably playing Dayton. They might repeat what Wake Forest did last year. Everybody puts them in, they get in, they lose in Dayton, they go the fuck home. Uh, that's not outside their own possibilities. In fact, I think that's probably the likely outcome. If I was picking Syracuse fans are glad that I'm not, they would be out. I think they're going to win, I think they're going to be in, and I think they're going to go to Dayton. And that, that pains me, especially if they get in over somebody like St. Bonaventure or Middle Tennessee, because Middle Tennessee's a better team. I, they just are. You know, them losing to Southern Miss, that was kind of fluky. It shows you how crazy shit is in the mid-major um, conferences. But Middle Tennessee's a good team. You know, Nick King, Giddy Potts, those are really good players. Those are players that probably should be playing in Power 5 conferences. Um... I, you know, I'm excited for tonight. I can't wait. And <laughs> I can, I, you know, I'm sure Syracuse fans have a lot of hate mail queued up and ready to go for when they make both make the tournament tonight and when they make the Sweet 16. I'm sure I'm going to get all kinds of hate. But, hey, I respect that. I like that. Like I said, like, re, like rate, review this podcast. You can say whatever you want in the comments as long as you give me five stars because you obviously like it because you're still listening. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't still be listening, and you wouldn't hate me, and you wouldn't be sending me all this nonsense. So, looking at the ACC, locks for the big dance, locks for the prom. Obviously, Virginia Duke, UNC, Clemson are all in. Um, Virginia Tech, Miami, obviously in. There were some, uh, there was some people on Twitter that said the other day that ESPN metrics gave NC State a 3.7% chance of making the dance. Uh, that's crazy. If NC State does not make this tournament something is clearly wrong with, this, with the, the process. And if, say for instance, NC State does not make this tournament and Oklahoma does make this tournament, I might not watch a game or two in protest. You know, I'm, I'm going to sit out those 1-16 games in protest for you, Wolfpack fans. That's what I do for you, Wolfpack fans. I'm not even a fan of NC State, Okay. But they're pretty close, so I go to NC State games, and I root for you because here, here's another thing that people don't know, okay? Or I'm going to say casual fans don't know, is you want your ACC rivals to make the dance, okay? I don't know if, I don't know if people understand the, the, the monetary value in, you know, people say, oh, we're setting records, we get 10 teams in. There's a monetary reward for that happening, Okay. It, for every team that makes this dance, this tournament, in your conference, you get paid money. Okay? For every time those teams advance in the tournament, you get more money. Okay? When they advance again, you make more money. Okay? So this helps with facilities. This helps with budgets as far as recruiting goes. This helps with buyouts for coaching. Okay? This helps for extensions for coaching. This helps for budgets as far as your assistants. Uh, your assistant coaching staff, okay, all these things, your rivals making the tournament benefits your program, okay? You want teams like Oklahoma to not get in while Syracuse does, okay? You don't want Davidson in this tournament when you can have Florida State. If, now, you know, you could say, well, now you're being greedy. Now you're being corrupt. Hey, money makes the world go round. When Georgia Tech owes Paul Hewitt seven million dollars, I want fourteen ACC teams in the in the in the NCAA tournament. Okay, right now Pittsburgh that just bought out Kevin Stallings for a reported nine point four million dollars. Right now they want every team in the ACC in that tournament to give them money so they can buy off they can pay off that buyout and get themselves a real coach. Which hey, I haven't even talked about that yet. Pittsburgh fired their coach this week. Now. They did it in kind of a shady way. They're currently negotiating with the buyout, which Kevin Stallings is walking out the door, okay? He just threw all his papers up in the air. Fuck this, I'm out. You know, both barrels blazing. I'm, I'm talking about middle fingers here, people, not uh, not workplace shootings, okay? Sunglasses on in his brand-new Lamborghini, and he's going down the road, and he announced his retirement as well. $9.4 million bio is what he made on top of his salary in two years at the University of Pittsburgh. Tell me that guy isn't winning. Tell me that guy's life isn't better now than it was a week and a half ago. 
<laughs> Kevin Stallings rules the world right now. He might be the smartest guy in whatever room he's standing in right now. Now, big ups to Heather Like, the AD at uh, Pittsburgh, for pulling that trigger. Something that had to be done. That was a horse that needed to be put down. I think everybody wins in this situation. Except for maybe the accounting department at Pittsburgh University, or University of Pittsburgh. Pitt, the zoo, whatever you want to call it. Now, who do they go after? Eh, I don't know. Um, Tom Crean? Uh, you know, Kevin Ollie was fired, so I don't expect Danny Hurley to go to Pitt when he can go to UConn. Um, we also need to see what Kevin Willard does at Seton Hall after he gets done with the tournament because reports have come out that he is not happy. Um, both he and Seton Hall are at odds over whatever, not sure. But Danny Hurley's uh, lineage, his family, is from New Jersey. Um, his father, Bobby Hurley, was obviously a, a really prominent high school coach in New Jersey. It, see, it would fit, right? UConn and Seton Hall would have to come before Pittsburgh, you got to imagine. Um, so who does Pitt get? I, you know, I've been, I've been saying Brandon Knight since before the season, it seems. Um, not that he would be the best choice, but he may be the most reasonable choice financially. I'm not sure how much money Pittsburgh has in the coffers. Now, Tom Crean probably wants to get back in the game, right? He's probably a better fit in the SEC at Georgia, which also opened up yesterday when they fired Mark Fox. But uh, I'll tell you right now, as a G Tech fan, I don't necessarily want Tom Crean recruiting in Georgia right now. I, you know, say what you want about Tom Crean as far as his performance. He pulls in some pretty good recruits. You know, early on in Indiana, he was pulling in guys. And Georgia is a talent-rich environment. I don't want G Tech going up against Tom Crean in state, especially if he keeps Jonas Hayes, who is a fantastic recruiter. So, you know, it might be uh, might be time for Pittsburgh to go young and up-and-comer. Um, I think Joe Dooley at Florida Gulf Coast would be a, a good a good way to go. Um, I don't know if you would leave Florida Gulf Coast for <clears throat> for Pittsburgh, but <laughs> um, it depends on uh, how you can leverage the Pittsburgh job offer into an extension and a raise at Florida Gulf Coast, which I think might be a likely outcome. But Joe Dooley is, it, it, it's about time for him to step it up. Now, I mean, he could be an option to go to Tallahassee. And I'm just spitballing here. I don't know anything. Okay, I haven't talked to anybody. This is just my brain, you know, on fire. I've had two of these humongous coffees, and I don't typically drink coffee, so I'm kind of going all over the place right now. But the the coaching universe at college basketball is a spider web. You know, it's crazy to follow those threads. Now, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, what about Tim Kluis at Iona? You know, this guy's won three MAC championships in a row. Um, he is a guy who was born in New York, he played at Hofstra, he played at St. John's, you know, that is, <laughs> that seems like a pretty good fit to me. Um, I see Paul Hewitt's name bouncing around Twitter a little bit here and there. Who the hell is hiring Paul Hewitt? I thought the SEC was trying to get better. Can you imagine Paul Hewitt in Georgia right now in the SEC? Oh, you think they weren't happy with Mark Fox? Goddamn, Paul Hewitt's going to recruit better than Fox ever did and suck worse than Fox ever did. So that was that was sim you know somewhat funny to me that I saw that name. Um, getting kind of back on track here, I actually didn't really plan on getting too much into the Pittsburgh uh, coaching vacancy, but this is the ACC basketball report. I've got to talk about that stuff. Basically, again, getting back to my original point, you want all these teams to make this 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 tournament, okay? If you're if you're a Louisville, you want yourself to make it. You want Notre Dame, Syracuse, Florida State. Everybody's in. Okay, everybody's in. You're Seth Greenberg. Everybody's in. So, one question I do have is, how many teams did the ACC actually deserve? Um, did they deserve more than eight teams? You know, Duke, Virginia, UNC, Clemson, Virginia Tech, NC State, Miami. And one of the other. I think ultimately they're going to get two of the other. I think the other two is going to be Louisville and Syracuse. Um, do we deserve that many? No, but I'll take that money and run. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, one thing that is that I question is is there going to be another sign of corruption in the NCAA tonight? 
Okay, the fact that Oklahoma is about to get a bid over any one of the four teams that I just mentioned from the ACC would be a travesty, and it would be completely driven by money. Okay, from the NCAA knowing that everybody wants to watch Trey Young play basketball. Okay, Oklahoma goes out there and loses by 20 in the first round to a five seed. Okay, doesn't matter. Everybody wants to see Trey Young play. It'll probably be the highest rated game in the first round. Okay, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the matchup, everybody's going to watch that game to see what he does. Now, he also has the talent to catch fire and lead them to the Elite Eight. Do I think that's likely? Absolutely not. But people are going to watch him just the same. Whatever game he plays in is going to be the most highly rated game in the tournament, especially if Oklahoma runs into a team like Duke that also has a huge following nationally. Okay, those games are gonna those are gonna be the breadwinners as far as as far as viewership goes. My response to that: go watch him in the NIT. Speaking of the NIT, the NIT is gonna be awesome this year. Okay, typically it's a tournament that very few people pay attention to. Um, I paid attention to it last year for the first time in 10 years because why? Georgia Tech was in it. That's the only reason I cared. Didn't watch any of the other games. <clears throat> uh, Middle Tennessee State potentially lands there. I don't think that's correct, but it's more than likely. Uh, Oklahoma State could land there. Uh, New Mexico is definitely going to land there. Davidson, if they don't win today, will be there. Vermont is going to be there, who lost to uh, UMBC yesterday. Um, in their conference tournament championship game. You're going to look at teams like possibly St. Mary's, who has a 28-4 record and one of the best big men in the country, and they may not make that tournament because they did not play a schedule worthy of, the, of a Division III team. Okay, Arizona State, who was once ranked second in the country this year, could possibly land in the NIT. And a couple of our own in, in the ACC, Syracuse, Florida State, Notre Dame, Louisville, okay? You're not going to watch Tyus Battle play in the NIT. I mean, he's, you know, I, I overblow Tyus Battle a little bit. He's fun to watch play basketball, okay? You're not going to watch Bonzi Colson finish up his, his and Matt Farrell's senior year in the NIT. I am. I'm going to watch Notre Dame play in the NIT. Louisville, Ray Spaulding, he's a pro. I'm going to watch him play. Luol Deng thinks he's a pro, so, you know, he's worth watching sometimes. But, uh, again, this is, a, this is a fantastic field outside of teams like uh, Arizona, uh, Villanova. I'm not going to say Kansas. I think Kansas is, is really susceptible here, really, you know, likely to get upset fairly early in the tournament. Virginia, um, teams like that, you know, they set themselves apart. Michigan State, Duke, they set themselves apart. After that... There are 40 good teams, and unfortunately, a lot of those teams aren't going to make that tournament. And you know, you give me the opportunity to watch St. Mary's against Vermont. <laughs> I'm tuning in for that, as long as you know Trey Young's not playing on the other station. I, I, it's just it, it, NIT benefits this year from this this stacked and loaded and 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 mistake riddled NCAA field. I think, uh, you know, whatever's bad for the NCAA tournament tonight, I think, is good for the NIT. You know, I, the NIT wants Middle Tennessee State, okay? The NIT wants St. Mary's. They definitely want Arizona State. Arizona State's probably would be the favorite to win it all in the NIT, I believe. Um, you know, I think both tournaments are going to be great this year. I'm going to move on a little bit. Now, one thing you got to do real quick before I move on. One thing you got to understand is... The NIT does accept all regular season conference champs that don't make the tournament to automatically qualify for the NIT. So, you know, those, you know, team like Vermont already qualified, so they're definitely going to be in the NIT. Um, but, so you're going to get some teams in there that are going to be like, eh, I don't want to watch that. But I think, you know, the NIT is always weird too because it's not the tournament. A lot of people don't get up, a lot of teams don't get up for those games. So, you see a lot of the really good teams, uh, Middle Tennessee State, for instance, that wouldn't get up for those games. They just kind of show up, go through the motions, and go home early. Um, so that is something to be weary of when watching the NIT. But uh, you're going to see Jock Lendale against uh, Benton Sponsey Colson in this tournament. I'm going to watch that. Um, so real quick, again, I'm going to give you guys a little uh, heads up on what I'm doing tonight. Six to eight.
1260 The Score in New York. There's an app. You can listen online. You can listen live on the radio if you're within their broadcast parameters. It's terrestrial radio, so I'm not really sure what the uh, what the range is for them. But again, the app and listening online makes it so you can listen wherever you are. I'm going to be on there from 6 to 8 with a panel reviewing the brackets as they're released. Really excited about that. It's my first live radio spot. Um, really looking forward to it. So definitely, uh, definitely give that a listen and uh, go ahead and send some stuff out on Twitter that I can respond to after, whether it be complimentary or hateful. I welcome all challengers. And again, hopefully tonight, depending on how I'm feeling, um, you know, a little sip of bourbon here and there, never hurt anybody. I'll try to uh, get out a short podcast with my thoughts on some bracket matchups and, and stuff like that. I am also accepting all invitations for Bracket Madness and uh, any tournament challenges that uh, anybody wants to invite me to so I can get embarrassed and get beat out by a Chinese housewife. Um, Also, again, feel free to go to my Podbean page to support the show. And I think for right now, fellas, I am done for the day. Um, There are some bad people that need killing on Call of Duty. And I'm going to go take care of that real quick. And then I got to uh, go pressure wash the house, which for all my friends in Maine back home that are listening, yes, it is March in North Carolina, and I'm able to go outside and pressure wash the house while you guys are still dealing with a foot of snow. Love you. Miss you. I'll talk to you guys later. Be sure to tune in, hear my thoughts on 1260 to score, and it's tournament time, people. This is the best time of year for any sports fan in the world, in my opinion. Have a great day. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you later tonight. Peace.